0: Hey, what's up? My name is DJ Artistic. I'm an international DJ from Los Angeles,
1: California with a deep love of music. I'm joined by my co-host E.B. Hello out there. My name is E.B. I am a self-professed musicologist. I'm a writer, blogger, and content creator who resides on the planet of Brooklyn. I love soul music and I have a deep passion for black culture.
0: I want to welcome you all to Behind the Wheels. Each episode, we'll engage in stimulating dialogue about music, culture, Artists we forgot about, artists who we love now, and those on the come up. So today, let's start with a hypothetical situation like we did last episode. This time I'll ask, if you could have dinner with anyone in the music world, dead or alive,
1: who would it be? Easy for me, Aretha Louise Franklin. I think Aretha is the queen of soul, and without Aretha bringing jazz and bringing gospel to R&B, we wouldn't be listening to the same R&B that we are today. What about you? I would have to go with my man uh, Prince Rogers Nelson. If you had the choice to have dinner with Prince or to take fifty thousand dollars, what would you do?
0: Huh? It's tough. Um. So with Prince, I would love to just ask him about how he got started, about how he got to, um, how he was able to soak up so many different musical influences and to put them all out in different directions. But as much as I would enjoy that conversation and I would look forward to it. $50,000, ooh, I mean, that might can uh, change my, you know, my fortunes for right now. I mean, especially in this pandemic, you know, I could take that and make, you know, get some investment property or whatever else. So I'll probably go with 50000 I think, I think.
1: Oh, I'm still choosing Aretha. Aretha always got paid in cash, so I know she got that $50,000 her purse. So I'm <laughs> good either way.
0: That's true. She might have the cash right next to her uh, her little peppermints or something. So, <laughs> I mean, I feel you, I feel you. So this question has been around on Twitter all year long. The question is: Would you rather eat with Jay Z or take fifty thousand dollars cash? If it was Jay Z, I would probably meet with Jay Z only because I think career-wise, it might be a you know, it might be a a, a better better chance of me you know excelling just from that meeting, especially with me being a DJ, him being a hip hop artist, and I think that might just take my career to the next level, but. That fifty thousand dollars is kind of, you know, kind of tempting
1: still. Yeah, I mean, fifty thousand is a lot, and Jay Z is a legend, so I'm gonna go with the fifty thousand dollars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I get you, I get you. I mean, that fifty thousand is hard to turn down. So hey, we're in the middle of a penny. Hey, as we just said, as we said it. From this point, we're gonna move on to our next segment, which is called Beat Match. How this works is we're gonna pick two artists and put them head to head to argue about who would come on top in a battle.
1: And just in case you have not listened to the first episode, it's streaming on all platforms, but I won. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, you know what? The whole country won because just as I predicted, Kamala Harris is not only the hero that Mariah Carey sings about, but she is also our new vice president elect.
0: Yeah. That battle was uh, Mariah versus Mary. And you're right. I mean, because Kamala did come out to uh, Mariah's. He actually, no, she came out to a Mary J. Bly song again, this time, when she walked out for her acceptance speech as the Madam Vice President Elect, yeah. So, uh, but but this is a new episode, a new battle. So this next one came from um, some um, some rumors out there about a, a potential battle between Outcast and a tribe called Quest. So I think that would be interesting.
1: I think it is interesting. And as the reigning champion that I am, I'll let you go first because it's obvious that you need a bit of a head start.
0: Oh, that's so nice of you. Okay, okay. Shh. That's how we're going to do it. All right. In that case, I'm going to pick a tribe called Quest.
1: All right. You have tribe. Then I guess I'm going with my boys from the south, Outcast.
0: I got you. I got you. Okay. For everyone listening, each of us has three minutes or less to make our case. The other will have a chance for rebuttal at the end of us making our cases. And then a 30 second closing argument. Our producers, Melissa and the lady will pick the winner. So since I picked first, I'll be nice and let you go ahead and argue first. Oh man, a diplomatic
1: loser. We love to see it. Oh wow, all right. Um, you know, when I first heard <laughs> about this hypothetical uh tribe and outcast to me it made no sense at all because uh I mean, I in my opinion, they're not even in the same lane. They're not from the same generation. But the more I thought about it, I realized that if we are talking strictly hits and beats because this is a beat match, then outcast wins it outcast put atlanta on the map outcast has had literally hit after hit after hit i mean they've had at aliens they had rosa parks i mean not many people get to make a song about a civil rights icon and get sued by that civil rights icon they had uh <laughs> get up get out liberation the art of storytelling i mean bombs over baghdad then they did their own thing and flipped it with Hey Ya. They had So Fresh and So Clean, Elevators, Aquemini, Miss Jackson. Uh, it's Roses. I mean, hit after hit after hit. Outkast not only put Atlanta on the map, but they actually put the South on the map in a way that No Limit had not done before them, and in a way that Cash Money still hasn't. They made Atlanta a cultural hub for all black music with just their impact on the industry now tribe mm, not so much really
0: really okay so i would have to disagree with a lot of that so the thing about it is um so i'll say before i even get into it owlcash and tribe are my favorite two groups um so it's definitely a hard thing to even pick either way and a lot of folks kind of see it as a father and son thing with tribe being the ones to kind of break through with that kind of what was seen as a hipsterish type of eclectic style. But um, as far as impact goes, so here's the thing about it. With that, Tribe Called Quest came 11 years after hip-hop was, I guess, if you want to say, officially founded in in New York. And with that, they completely changed the landscape of things and everything from the sound and the culture of the hip-hop you heard coming from um, New York. So they came with such a smooth, jazzy style, the way that Q-Tip was producing, He's kind of one of the, the, the frontrunners of the boom bap sound that you still hear today. Even when you hear songs from J. Cole and Kendrick, they still have sometimes um, the, the Tribe Call Quest type of production to it that Q-Tip established. Between what Tribe had on their actual albums and singles, along with Q-Tip's own features and solo work, and his production if you count his production too it gets rough now it is generational because a lot of songs that that um would be in this battle would go a lot harder for somebody who's 40 and up who was born in the 70s early early 80s especially being from a new york but when you go head to head i mean if you want to talk about they had bonita applebaum and the remix i mean fuji's got the killing me softly drums straight from that then you had check the rhyme you had scenario and the remix Collective Relaxation. You had Can I Kick It? You had the Buddy remix with la Soul. You had A War Tour. You had Find A Way. I mean, Find A Way was one of Dilla's best beats, one of the best hip-hop beats ever. Q-Tip left, uh, or they they broke up, basically, and then, even with that, Q-Tip came with Virate Thing, "Breathing," Stop, Let's Ride, all these classic Dilla-type tracks. Then, uh, you had him on Sadiq, Get Involved. You had him with a West Coast skating classic with you, with Lucy Pearl, and and Snoop and then when you talk about what uh Ali did Ali left and he had Lucy Pearl if you can count Dance Tonight you can count Don't Mess With My Man you got those type songs Q-Tip had his production he had those songs like the smooth Move uh, he had Apache a he had Gangsta Trick he had the the One Love for Nas he had the hood songs like My beat Give Up the Goods like he had a, a lot of range that people don't realize so with all these types of songs um i feel like if you just put them head to head it's it's a lot closer than people than people would think i would put tribe on top because a lot of those songs still get sampled so much and as far as impact goes Outkast impact is a little bit tricky when it comes to um to atlanta because surprisingly i would say pastor troy and some of them have more direct influence in the south of atlanta than outcast all right all right all right, all right. That's
1: no you made you made some very good points um You're right. The members of Tribe, their influence, they've gone on and produced some amazing music for other people. And that would be relevant if this was a beat match between OutKast and other people. But it's not. It's a beat match between Tribe and OutKast. Tribe, definitely one of my favorite hip hop groups of all time. But the members collectively... Do not do that. I mean, they could, couldn't even keep the same members. They breaking up and all this other stuff. Collectively, Outcasts when they found out, or when they found that they couldn't no longer work together, they just released a dual album. when his Tribe ever done that? Gave everybody the time to shine, and it's been as hot as Speaker Box and the Love Below was. It, it's not something that's going to happen, and their impacts. I would say. Uh, if Tribe had the impact that influenced all of the East Coast and a lot of the South, because people forget I'm from the South. For a while, all we got was music from New York. When Outcast came, Outcast had everybody all over the country. Now you telling me you were in Florida and you weren't listening to Outcast in college? Of
0: course I was. I was playing both though. And here's the thing about it: is that I get what you mean about instead of breaking up, they made solo albums. That was brilliant. But um, with Q-Tip and, and Five, they did get back together. And the funny thing is, they came out in 1990 and their most recent project together was just a couple years ago, which was probably recorded right before Five Dies. So they still were able to reconnect and still made a great project on that last one they had a couple years ago. And as far as them making projects on the side, those still count. I feel like whenever it's a battle, it's not just about what they made as a, as a collective, but also what they did um, individually. So with that, I will let the Andre features uh, fly as well. But I feel like um, as far as, yeah, Outkast had that influence throughout the South, but Tribe was able to get, they had the same influence throughout the country because a lot of stuff, even even aside from Outkast, if you hear old songs from home team, pick it up from 92, that's Miami. They sounded more like Tribe than anybody else at the time. And that was coming from a whole different place. So Tribe did have an influence throughout the whole nation, I would say.
1: Okay. It's uh, it's definitely regional, but it's also generational. Speaking generational Lee, Outkast is going to win it no matter what, simply because of, if we're counting the music that Tribe has produced for other people, um, because of their affiliation with so many artists. Because, I mean, if Andre hadn't broke Erica's heart, we would not have probably gotten half of the music we've gotten from her. I think Big Boy and Dre separately are mostly considered on everybody's top whatever list of hip-hop artists. With Tribe, you might hear Q-tips sometimes on someone's top 10 MC list, um, but I, I hate to say it, I've never heard Fife on anybody's list. I've never heard you know, people say, "Oh man, you heard Fife. Fife is one of the best of all time." Never ever, but they said that about Andre Three Thousand.
0: And they did. And the thing is, as a, as one of those types of things, where as a group, that's all that mattered was that Fife and Q-Tip had an undeniable chemistry to them. Is where if you just hear Fife's his sense of humor, that's what it made him what he was. It wasn't about him having to be the greatest artist in the world, but hearing hearing him next to Q-Tip. It was it was more fun hearing Q-Tip next to him than by himself. Even though Q-Tip made some great albums on his own, it was like it was a lot more fun when him and Pfeiffer you know, filling it together because Fife would have just the silliest lines, but Q-Tip would kind of feed off of that sometimes. So that's one of the parts that, that I loved about seeing them together. But Q-Tip, you have to also think not only as he mentioned as a great um, rapper, but also as a producer as well. So look at you going over the time. Hey. Hey, look, it's, it's hard. It's so much to say about him. It's hard. You got to catch up. You got to cheat. You yeah. got to
1: catch up. I get it.
0: It's tough. So at this point, we're going to go ahead and pass it to our producers. We're going to let Melissa and the lady deliberate off the mic and then each pick a winner.
2: That was pretty hard. I think, oh, my God, the arguments. So I definitely think it's generational. And... I think when we're looking at overall group impact versus like the individuals, it, it can kind of go either way as well. When you think about Andre versus a Q-tip. Um, personally, I felt like uh, the ones that resonated the most with me would be like an outcast based on generation, but I felt like the argument was really strong for the influence of the um, I mean, yeah, Q-Tip's influence is definitely undeniable. So I have to go with Tribe Called Quest on this one for this purpose.
0: Oh, look at that. Look at that. Okay. Wow. okay. Let's okay. see. And Melissa, let's see what you have to say about it. I
2: like how this time we did not deliberate off the microphone, though. I actually thing is, if I'm going to put on an album between these two, it's most likely going to be um An outcast album Because that's what I grew up with More you know gen- generational thing And I agree With everything that Lily said is that You know I love outcasts, but For this argument's sake and what was Brought to the table I think A tribe called Quest Won because they have more of a reach They have inspired And um made more of an impact in the musical world, I believe.
1: No, no, no. Stop counting the votes. Stop counting the votes. We I'm need a recount. I'm sorry we need a Trump. recount. We checked the mail, the mail in ballot, and nobody <laughs> no, did. No, no, nobody did dead. Dead.
0: Daddy even voting or anything. That's that's official votes right there. I think uh I think I think they've said it. So um you know might as well mute yourself real quick. I would like to uh thank Everyone who made this possible, from Q-Tip to Fife, rest in peace, to to uh, Fife's uncle who probably made him a sports fan, to to Ali, Shaheed Muhammad, everybody involved, you know, the whole city of New York and Queens, the borough, you know, QB in the building. And, um, you know, it's it's, it's it's hard being a winner sometimes. You know, people always want to attack you. And, you know, you got about 60 days to get up out of the house and then I'll be taking over. And, um, yeah, that's that's what it is. So for everybody out there who's listening, if you would like to have a say who we beat match next, tweet us. I'm at DJRTISTIC on Twitter and he is at EB4PREZ, EB4Press with the hashtag behind the wheels pot.
1: And that is beat spelled B E A T for anyone that did not get that reference like I'm still the first winner of the first beat match.
0: That's, that's cool. I mean, you know, it. it's always the, the, the former champions trying to talk about what they did in the past. It's cool. So anyway, anyways, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to discuss four albums from the year 2000. We're going to discuss artists you may have forgotten about, along with newer artists that you should know about. Thank you all for listening to Behind the Wheels. We would love it if you could just take a moment to let us know what you think by rating us and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. This will also help other people find us too. All right, we're back. And this is a segment called The Drop. This is when we discuss a hot topic going around on social media. So I recently polled Twitter and asked them, What's the best R&B album from the year 2000 out of these four choices? Who is Jill Scott? Volume one, Erica Badu, mama's gun music. I just want to sing and voodoo. These are all four albums that came out in that crazy year of 2000.
1: All right. So I have to ask, um, because I already know from myself how I rank them, but what did Twitter say? Uh,
0: I want to hear what you have to say before
1: I get into that. I'll let you go ahead, you know,
0: I'll let you go ahead and start this segment. Um, how would you rank it as far as what would you say the best one is? And if you had to even rank them 1 to 4 if you could, how would you do it?
1: All right, so the best one without a doubt for me is Erica Badu, Mama's Gone. That's an album that I connected with instantly. She came out of the gate with Penitentiary Philosophy, and when I heard that, I knew I was in for an experience. The album was going to be special um ranking them it would be probably uh Badu then it gets tricky because i want to say Badu then Voodoo but i just remember the first time i heard Miss Jill Scott and i heard that album it was one that i could not turn off um and I, uh man i think i'm going to have to go Badu Voodoo, just because it's D'Angelo. I mean, we only get one D'Angelo. Then Jill. And um, music, yeah. I just want to sing. Great album. Philly in the building all day, every day. But it's last on the list for me.
0: It's a tricky one. So the reason I initially even asked is because um, to anyone who's familiar with Clubhouse, they have these discussions on there. And they're basically going year by year to say what the best album is. And on Clubhouse, they had these as the four finalists, and I won't get into who they chose, but they had these four as a finalist. And I never even thought about comparing them, but they are so similar. They're they basically in that breakout year for Neo Soul. Also, you had like Lucy Pearl came out that year, and um, it was a lot of, lot of Neo Soul type of artists who really blew up that year 20 years ago. And it was a a, a stark comparison in um, contrast to the more commercial to the Maya and even the Destiny's Child at the time, where it was more of the kind of commercial, trendy R&B. At the time, so I was a straight hip-hop kid. I grew up all hip-hop. The uh, first R&B album I bought was Tevin Campbell, I'm Ready, back in 93. And that wasn't my own money. That was my dad buying it for me because I wanted to hear uh, Can We Talk and I'm Ready. I didn't buy another R&B album on my own until this year. And it was actually Music sell Child. I was all mm-hmm. hip-hop. All I bought, 98, was All No Limit. 99 was a mixture of Rough Riders and, and Method Man, Redman, DJ Clue. But I think the reason I connected to music at that time was because he had that hip hop influence. And hearing Just Friends was crazy. When I first heard that beat, the hi-hat was a little bit off, off sync, but it was like, this is just fire. And then the whole album was a perfect blend of the hip hop at the time and the, the soul that was, uh, that was newly present. I remember D'Angelo came out and there was a lot of hype. I didn't even get to hear the D'Angelo album until maybe a few months after it came out. But I remember How Does It Feel being just the biggest thing in the world, especially because of the video that all the girls used to always rave about. I don't see the big deal. He's just the dude who had cornrows and he forgot to wear clothes that day. So I don't see why people like that <laughs> so much. But but for me, I always say listening to those two and then I got into Jill Scott and Erica's albums not until college really. So I didn't get to hear the entire albums until then. But I remember hearing the Jill Scott album and saying, Wow, I remember all five and six of those main songs. The um from The Way to Um It's Love. My boy from my cousin from DC put me on this love. Cause of, yeah, that go-go feel. That was my first H- time you? hearing a, a go-go song. Yeah, like he was telling me what go-go was, and he said, You ain't heard Jill Scott album? And that's when I first heard it. And he he played this love, uh, it's love. Said, oh, this is kind of a groove, and then hearing um, slowly, surely, uh, um, or is it surely, slowly, yeah, slowly, surely, yeah, you're right, slowly, uh, surely, hearing that, then hearing He Loves Me, so all those songs were just so strong to me. I realized, okay, this album is banging, and then Erica's, um, Mama's Gun, I heard that about the same time, and just hearing in the production on there was just crazy. They all had a similar feel to it, but the way it flowed, the way that Clever comes in after the. Uh, And on sequel, I was like, whoa, like Mm -hmm. what is happening? So if I had to go ahead and rank it, all that to say, it's hard. Because music is the one I connected to the most initially. And I still love the songs on there. 143 was crazy. Love. The Patrice Russian remake, Settled for My Love. I would have to say it's probably fourth only because it just wasn't as strong as the others. And it wasn't as groundbreaking. And it wasn't as musical, but it was right there next to it. I think... As far as the writing, the writing is probably number one or number two out of those four, I would say. As far as number three and two, I'm kind of stuck between Jill and Erica because I feel that I think Jill has stronger overall songs. Like those five or six strong songs were crazy, but some of the other album cuts aren't as strong. I think Mama's Gun had stronger album cuts and they had an amazing flow to it, but I, I don't think it had as many standout songs. I would have to say Voodoo was number one for me personally, just because it was, it, it is this, this one jam session where each song has the same exact elements, the same drums, the same cute, uh, not cute tip, but the same quest love snare, that kind of sharp rim shot with the snap finger to it. Each song had that, but it was all used so differently. So everything from a Spanish joint hitting so hard to the, hmm. the uh, Feels Like Making Love remake, the way that he flipped that and put that Neo Soul feel to it. The way he uh, channeled Prince on "How Does It Feel" and I didn't know that the song was that much longer until I got the album because the video kind of kind of skipped it short, that, yeah, or, yeah, it cut it short. So hearing how that flows, just the the groove to one more again and and chicken grease, send it on. It's like I think musically is it is just a whole different world, and you still hear hear the influence from that album more than the other other three for sure. It's where everybody from BZ to Chicago kids, you hear him use a lot of D'Angelo influence production-wise and vocally, even if you hear like Jacob Collier's new song with Daniel Caesar, uh, Time Along With You, that's straight voodoo. Like you hear that type of song. Um, you hear so many different albums now that have that voodoo sound to it. So it was just groundbreaking in that way. So I would have to go go ahead and say that that would be number one. And then number two and three, interchangeable with Jill and Erica. And music is sadly fourth for me, but I probably still do listen to music more than the other three at this time. Really? Yeah, I think so. I just connected with it so much. And just the songs on there just went so hard to me, um, starting off with Girl's, Girl Next Door. I can even yeah. say uh, music's album is probably the most the most adolescent of the four albums. The other three are a little bit more grown up. But I feel like music, for me, being a high schooler, is just like I was able to relate to it a lot more from the uh, content. I can say that that Seventeen song would not, would not fly today. <laughs> At even, all. Yeah, At all even though he was not saying he continued to talk to her. It was well, like this was just the, the fact that he made a song about well, this. Yeah. It was kind of a revertish.
1: Revertish. <laughs> look, Hey, so yeah. let me just give a quick shout out to Victor Duplay. If oh, anyone you. listening yeah. has not heard of Victor Duplay, he is an amazing musician, singer, and he actually wrote on both the uh Badu and the music albums. Um, yeah. I think all of the albums. um, I mean, you of course Erica and D'Angelo come from that same Soul Quarian tribe, and you know Jill is very Philly all day, just like music. Yeah, I mean that whole year two thousand had some great albums. I mean mm-hmm. Tamia, Dave Hollister, oh, and Tony honest. Braxton. Yeah, like yeah. the difference between these four albums and every other album that dropped that year. What were or is that these four albums are completely crafted bodies of work and they're magnificent like yeah they can stand alone but each song tells a story and it runs right into the next song you know to me i had a big hit with stranger in my house yeah. dave hollister had a one woman man tony braxton was asking dr dre to be a man about it <laughs> Maya, <at Case laughs> of the <X>. yeah <laughs> maya had case of the x and she had the best <laughs> of me song i mean joe and? dropped like one of his albums my name is joe it was just, like his 15th album with the same title. Uh, you know, They're they the all had these stand out. I mean, everything is called Joe, my name is Joe, hey, it's Joe. <laughs> Joe College, Joe Rich, you know, hey. Joe Mama, you know, i've something going. Yeah. <laughs> but um th- that's the only difference. I think every that year was great for music, but these four artists all released these tight bodies of work. And for me, Badu is just always going to be number 1. Um I think her and D'Angelo had that same vibe where they were Relying heavily on live instrumentation and also old soul samples that people don't even realize are samples, which is the most beautiful part of it all for me. But, um, you know, Jill and music, you know, they they had that Philly thing going and they it felt young, it felt fresh and it felt new. But it also could be because that was both of their debut albums, you know, as opposed to Badu and D'Angelo, who are now on their sophomore albums. Which sound totally different from their first album. So I do have to mention that, like, that we saw this growth in them. Like, you know, Badu took her time. And I mean, Green Eyes, man. And Green
0: Eyes, the way it starts off, just on some Billie Holiday, just then it turns to a whole different song.
1: It's like, and then it turns to yeah. a whole different song again. Like, those three yeah. movements are so amazing. Um, D'Angelo has those moments, but it still can't. For me, at least, it it doesn't do it for me in the same way that Badu does. Like, I still listen to Mama's Gun to this day, pull it out and just press play. I don't do that with D'Angelo as much. I get that. One
0: one of the things I've heard that I didn't hear until a few years ago, one of the criticisms against Voodoo is someone did say that it felt too much like a jam session. And I understand it. I don't agree, but I get that it does feel like some songs didn't really have the same structure. So it's like, to me the other three albums, a lot of songs have more more of a structure to it. And even the writing, like one thing about D'Angelo, we love it. We love his voice. We love the way he sounds. But it's like you really have to have lyrics.com up as you listen to certain songs from D'Angelo because it's like you sing all the melodies. You know how each inflection goes, each harmony. But it's like, I don't know what he was saying until I read it because it's like it it, it works perfectly. It's, It's like it's an instrument, basically. He uses his voice as an instrument, but it's like. What is he actually talking
1: about? Certain songs, yeah, no, I he's, do, so. he's one of the hardest artists to understand. I, and I think yeah. even now in 2020, I could put a D'Angelo song on right now, know every ad lib, every note. <laughs> yeah. But if you ask me exactly what he's saying, <laughs> I have no idea. You know, at least we knew Jill was singing about grits. At least oh, knew we knew it. Erica was talking about the bag lady. We knew music was talking about that inappropriate relationship with the 17 year old. <laughs> Yeah, but we still don't know exactly what we know D'Angelo talked about. He asked you how it felt, and we still don't know what that meant, because in my eyes, I took it as a church song, because sometimes when the Holy Ghost enters you, Uh, you know, you want to know how it feels, and D'Angelo was just simply asking how it feels, and the reason he was naked was because he got baptized. It wasn't anything sexual. Y'all took it the wrong way, because y'all heathens.
0: Well, well, he was over there just trying to, you know, he was in the, the body he was born with, the outfit he was born with, that's, all of y'all yeah. just blessing over him. That's, and that's right. That's why that's he didn't right. make an album for so long. He was, you know, y'all ruined this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, they did. Middle. They did ruin yeah. this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, y'all just some sexual beings. Out y'all all need the Lord. So that's right. You know, so so going from there, um, as far as what Twitter said, so Voodoo got number one with thirty point eight percent. Jill Scott got twenty seven point one percent. Erica got twenty one point four percent. Music got twenty point five percent, and that's all real close. Uh, the highest mm. getting 30%, the lowest getting 20% means that mm. it's it's still close. Usually nah. those go 85%, 10%,
1: but yeah, they do, but that's still too close for me. Um yeah. I don't see how Erica would come right above music. I mean, Twitter must have been broken that day.
0: Oh, yeah. So speaking about that, as far as what they said on um the clubhouse debate where they had where they actually uh ranked the albums, they had Who is Joe Scott number one, they had Erica number two music number three and voodoo number four. And wow. I was kind of shocked at that, but they, a lot of the, the listeners I think are a little bit younger too. So that might have a
1: difference, but. Oh yeah. because Yeah. Yeah. They don't know who D'Angelo is. He was gone for a long time. So yeah, I exactly. That. But also, I, I, I don't know. How, how does D'Angelo come in after music? Music, Yeah. yeah, yeah even I though
0: I, as I said, I did buy music before D'Angelo back then, but it's like, I don't see how it could really be. Listed behind, especially at this point, especially with the influence. If you're listening to all the artists, all yeah. the artists who still sound like D'Angelo to this day. To anyone who's out there listening, if there's anything in the music industry you would like for us to discuss, go ahead and email us right now at behind the at gmail.com. This next segment will be rewinding back to artists that you may have forgotten about.
1: All right. So on Instagram, we did have a suggestion from at CraftedBird hey. that said <laughs> Can we get a cultural breakdown of Pressure? I mean, <laughs> wait, 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 Pressure who? Splacavelli. Listen, S P L A C K A V E L L I E. We got the spelling bee champion.
0: How you? How you spell that right without looking at it? Like,
1: listen, for real, for real. I, I. <laughs> hey. There are real words that I do not know how to spell, but I can always spell Splacavelli. So, thank you, Pressure. <laughs> no, nah, um. Pressure was an interesting time in, in R&B. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that. I mean, basically, so uh, Spaccavelli was obviously his big breakout hit. Um, he did, however, have a song before uh, called Put Your Thing Down. Oh, he did have that song. And, wow. uh, you know, it, it was it uh, <laughs> Wow. How do I say this nicely? It was trash. So then, um, yeah. we get, we got Splacavelli, and the thing about splackavelli was, first of all, it's a totally made up word. So please do not think it's a real word. So basically, he took the word splack, splack um, like. from a yeah, like a it, he took it from a two live crew song. So plack. splack,
0: splack, splack uh, from that was like ninety five south and somebody from the south. Yeah, yeah,
1: it, yeah. yeah it, it's, um, it's 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 uh, it's sexual in nature. I'm gonna say that and then he also took uh, a veli from machiavelli meaning that he owned remember when wow. Brian McKnight did that song when he wanted to show the women how something worked
0: oh, that was amazing that song is so right. fire
1: so basically pressure was saying that he was the the don of um the female anatomy okay okay um, and it was a hit i'm not going to lie like <laughs> blackavelli was a song that we probably shouldn't have been listening to and singing every word but i knew every word i still randomly will spell it like (laughs) it like for real for real i saw my niece and nephew last week and they were doing their homework and i think i almost wrote splacca for one of the answers (laughs) um (laughs) it's it's like one of those songs that it takes you straight back to 1990 i think 97 98 98. 98. takes you straight back to 98 um when music was a bit uh huh
0: Soon as you start saying that, um, that time that that time period was interesting. I feel like the '90s got real sexual around that Jodeci mm-hmm. and uh, Robert era, but it was still it was it, it got kind of out of hand. Like it was where a lot of the stuff is not remembered as much. But like in '94, so you remember Troop? Troop had uh, "Spread Your Wings." Yes,
1: and all, that. all I do. Yes, so yes, they,
0: yeah, so they had an a, a album in '94 that nobody even heard because. They're trying so hard to keep up with Jodice and them. Like if you see the cover of it, you would have thought they were DRS, or that Death Row had an R&B group. They had the shade on the LA play and all that. And they had a song called Pool Nanny. And you remember what that used to be back in the 90s. And it was like a lot of groups were trying so hard to, to be sexual, just to kind of keep up with what was going on. You had that on one end and you had Boys to Men and all for one on the opposite, polar opposite end. But by '98, mm-hmm. it was where there was a lot of these songs were coming out. So the most comparable songs to, um, put was it put you put that thing on it? What was it put, called?
1: Put your put your thing down, put your thing down. The yeah. most
0: comparable song I would say to that in Splatoon Valley was probably Link What You Gonna Do? How would you like it if I hit you 69? Oh. So, okay, this whole era of 98 uh, RB, it was all these guys who who had. I also call it the what what era because 98 99, the main ad lib you heard was what 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 what. All these songs and this—I to hate that ad lib so much. They all used to do it, so it's like in that same era. I feel like a lot of these groups came out, these solo artists came out with these songs. Adina had—I mean, she had the t-shirts and panties, and that's classic. Yeah, still love some t-shirt and panties, but it, oh no, thinking Adina's back, queen. it was definitely a raunchy song. So hearing the Spacavelli type songs, it was like it's it's definitely great in a novelty sense. Like you had to be there in that moment to understand where R&B was at. Very true. And you had to like it when it came out. Like you talk about your nieces and nephews. If you played that song for them, they would probably be like, what is this, uncle? Like, they they would not
1: understand anything that's going on. And I'm glad. Yeah. Um, I don't think even in 1998, a lot of people understood a lot of what was going on. Yeah. Um, But he made it. And, you know, everybody gets that one hit. And that yeah. was Precious' one hit. Like it was Splatavelli. You were talking about Adina Howard earlier. Adina kind of opened the door for songs like that. For women. For and women, I, for sure. I liked when women did it better because it didn't sound yeah. as nasty. That's like true. even freak That's true. like me wasn't nasty to me. I was like, oh, she's She it's just, she yeah. just wants somebody to match her match her speed, you know. Like, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Splatovelli, uh, even like I mean, first of all, he's talking about cheating for real for real yeah he's, he's talking, talking about a woman who has a man who is a provider and a good man probably i don't know and then but he's gonna be splack of belly he's gonna come and put his thing down you know yeah. and, and do man. what he gotta do he's still trying to make that work yeah. and then you were talking about that ad-lib that what and <laughs> what yeah everybody was using it and i hated it but noriega noriega is thankful, yeah. he's thankful that one, everybody was saying what
0: that's all went off. Like it was that was the what era. It was always something like what, like I don't know what it was about what at that time, but yeah. I'll say oh. Nori is definitely thankful from there. I think I'm gonna get into my artist. I would like to, uh, not my artist in that way, but an artist that I want to mention for this segment is Jade. So, speaking Jade. of how the 90s were and how it was like, you had to kind of pick it, was kind of a pick your fighter era. It was like, like nowadays, I feel like. It's kind of where you 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 pick and choose a little bit of everything. So if you Kendrick, you have your style, but you still do a ratchet song here to get the ratchets on you. You do a song mm. for the ladies, this and that. But early mid '90s was more so you had your focus and you kind of stuck with it. If you did anything that opposed that, it kind of made you look like you were trying too hard. So it was where, like yeah. SWV, they're kind of in between. They're uh, they're youthful enough to kind of appeal to the the young side, but they had the vocals and the songs were still grown up enough. Mary was kind of right in that perfect middle where she could appeal to the young folks. She had the hip hop edge, but she had actual adult content. And Vogue was more on the adult side where it was like, they weren't even trying to appeal to the kids, but it was like kind of a yeah. folks thing, even though some, some kids still enjoyed it. With Jade, I feel like they were kind of in between the SWV and Vogue, but more on that side where they had the youthful look to them. They had the energy. And the songs had a good, vibrant, uh, positive, kind of upbeat vibe to them. But they, I don't know if they got lost in the shuffle or if it was just about that second album. I think in that period from the late 80s to the mid 90s, it feels like r changed so much every other year. And it's like when they dropped the 92 with Jade to the Max, I mean, um, anybody who listens to my shows or goes to my shows, they know I play um, Don't Walk Away almost every party because that song is just so classic. It just goes, but that song was just that, that perfect vibe of like it was right when New Jack Swing it kind of evolved. And so it's not quite New Jack Swing, but it is, it has those synthesizers that make it feel like that. But it just had a perfect energy to it. Just the vocals to it, the chorus, the breakdown. Then they had the other songs, I Wanna Love You, they had One Woman. And those songs just sound a lot more like 1992, Like by 94, those songs sounded outdated. And yeah. then when they dropped that album '94, they had um like every day of the week. That song was definitely a cool little bot, but it felt, it feels like '94, but it it just didn't have the same feel of what Mary had evolved to already. Nobody did. Mary got to my life. TLC had even evolved. They already had uh, Crazy, Sexy, Cool. If you heard Creep and you heard even um, uh, I've Been Watching You, like those songs just felt a little bit more more modern versus how Jade sounded, and it's. It's funny how like every day of the week sounds a lot like the Ashley Banks song from um, <laughs> Fresh, Fresh Prince. Prince. <laughs> it's the same exact type of production. And that that was 95. So it's like, yeah, it sounds super 90s, but it just doesn't, I don't think it was strong enough for them to compete with the other artists. So they, they're kind of a forgotten about group in that sense.
1: They, You were right. They had this very youthful look, and but their style was a bit older. Like they did a lot of um, songs by the emotions. I think they remade "Don't Ask My Neighbor" and "Bless." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you yeah. could tell they were very heavily influenced by them. Um, they also had that BET live concert. Um, I, it's like a whole concert when they performed almost the whole album. Um, I didn't it, see that. Yes, yeah, it was on BET. I don't. I don't know if it was like a. It was like a special thing, like maybe like a unplugged, but it was on BET. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then by the time they had like Mr. Do Right and everything. I think they just kind of faded away, and I don't know why. Because I love Jade; I thought Jade was it. Um, but I think at the same time, the, the industry was so saturated with women in R and B, especially groups. I mean, you mentioned SWV and In Vogue, but we also had Escape, and then we also had Cleopatra. And then we had Cleopatra, Black Girl, Cleopatra. yeah, like Black Girl
0: it, '90s Girl. Listen,
1: wow. come on, like it was so many uh, women groups in R and B that. Everybody couldn't make it. Um, and Jay was one of those one of those groups that they had a specific sound and they got old quick. Like by yeah. ninety-four, they weren't sounding like nobody wanted to listen to what you were doing in 92. They switched it up. They exactly. should have switched it up rather.
0: That's the sad thing about it, because it, it did change so quick at, at that time period. And even even the Jeanne A type group, Jeanne had kind of like that. Man. They're man, kind man. of a prototype Neo Soul in a way, because yeah. Hey, Mr. DJ, that was um, KG, and yeah. that's basically. Even though that was '93, that sounds just like everything he made from '99 to 01 with the Jaheim, um the what's it called, a uh, Just in Case to the Wifey, um, mm-hmm. next uh, next Wifey, and Too Close. Yep. So it was really the same exact type of sound. So I think Jay just kind of got 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 lost in that in that uh, shift. And back then, it was like if you had one album that flopped, after you had a good one. It was all downhill. That is still a group that I love to listen to. And speaking of Jade and Pressure, we're going to put some of our favorite songs from both of those artists, along with the other artists we just discussed in this episode, in our Spotify playlist. There will be a link in the show's description. Let's go ahead and fast forward to the future and talk about some artists uh, we think you all should know about. Who do you want to introduce to the listeners?
1: All right, so I actually just found out about this kid maybe a month ago. His name is Omar Apollo um and surprisingly he's had uh three albums now this is uh this year he released his third album called Apolonio i think mm, okay. um and uh Caliuchas is on it but it's a really nice album and i like him because he sounds like youth like like music is taking a turn that's what it sounds like to me i think he is he identifies as i think mexican and black um, but he also identifies as I I A L M N O P W. I don't it's too All many. Right, letters. Relax, relax. He he identifies <laughs> so um yeah. he sings about music from a different standpoint. And as somebody who identifies myself, it's that's something that I've never heard on a mainstream level. You don't get to hear men sing about having relationships with other men. And he also sings about other women, but it's just something that we don't hear. And I think that his sound is fresh. It's very, it's it's it, it feels free, if that makes sense. It's, it's very playful. And it's not like he's taking himself too seriously. It's not like he's doing the thing that some artists have done where they try to make their sexual identity be the reason that they get put on. Mm-hmm. It's that he's yeah. really just making great music. So that's my artist is Mr. Omar Apollo. His last album, Apolonio. I always have to, pronounce it slowly because it's a little hard to pronounce i think it's great and he also had uh, two albums before that are pretty good but somebody on twitter actually put me on and i'm very grateful
0: i don't think i've heard him yet i know artists hate when we do it but if you had to compare him or his sound to anyone either present or past who would you actually uh, say he sounds most comparable to
1: okay so this is interesting he sounds like well i would compare him to i won't say he sounds like music soul child. In that remember uh, when I, music I, came out, his album felt uh, you know, even though he's an adult, it felt very adolescent and yeah. Uh, if you were a certain age, you could really identify with it. I think that's the same thing with Omar Apollo. I love it just because, but I think uh people of a certain age will really really identify with him. There's a mixture of like live instrumentation and heavily produced songs on the album, which I I do appreciate because I do like to hear an artist over yeah. live music.
0: For sure. It's always, it's always the best to me. Okay, so I have to check him out as well, because I've heard his name, but I don't know too much about him.
1: Yeah, great guy. So what about you? Who is the artist that you want to introduce our listeners to this week?
0: A young rapper, if you want to say rapper, um, named Channel Tress. He's from Compton, California. And his sound is a very, very different, unexpected sound for him being from Compton especially, but from anywhere. So basically with him... People may not realize that before LA had the uh the gangster rap and G Funk, we were known for having more of the kind of a a ish not quite techno, but kind of a freestyle, what would you call that that style back in the mid 90s? So we had like um world class wrecking crew and we had um what hmm. what Dr. Dre came from, he came from he came from them and then we had LA yeah, Dream yeah. Team. LA Dream Team and oh, Uncle Jam's army. So yeah, yeah.
1: And Egyptian Lover. Yeah, oh, classics.
0: So Channel Tres has that same sound, um, which is somewhat of a house sound. The production sounds more on, of a house, kind of like a, a little bit of a soulful house. It's, it's not sounding anything like the EDM type house, but it's a, mm. It's always four on the floor. It'll be 118 BPM, 120 BPM. And it has that feel. And he's almost, his rap sound almost sounds like if you mix right set, Fred. With a Compton rapper like a YG, which sounds so crazy, and you have to hear it to get it because he has that same cadence and that low voice like a, a right there Fred. It's like a low, mm. kind of like spaced out flow. It's not just rapping on each bar. He might dump, 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 It's like the same cadence as how you heard these old house artists do, but then the content will be some straight, like hip hop stuff. So, and he has kind of troll, like purposeful troll titles, like One of his best songs is called Sexy Black Timberlake. And it's just like the title of that alone is like, when I heard the title or saw the title, I'm like, what does that even mean? And I heard the beat coming and I'm like, it's one of those songs when you first hear it, it's like, I don't know if I like it or not, but your body keeps moving. And then after two minutes, it's like, (laughs) I'm kind of sold on it. So I've played it before. And when I first play it, the crowd kind of stops and they're kind of confused because they don't know what's going on. But once it keeps going, it's like, this kind of, this is kind of riding. So I think. He's kind of like a futuristic artist in a way because he's showing that that for one, it's still black music. Like house is black music, uh, ghetto tech and techno is Detroit as black music, and and even what we had back in the 80s in LA is black music. So it's basically everything that's that's black in totally different lanes coming together. And I think he has a future where, especially that Soul action type crowd will probably go for it. I think I don't see him really getting the same love, of course, as the YGs and the Joe Moses types of of Compton who make the straight-up hardcore rap, but I think there's a strong lane for him that will open up with that.
1: So would you would you say, um, not that he probably sounds like this, but would you say that he is maybe a descendant of the Roger Troutman line, whereas, you know, that L.A. sound, Roger Troutman was always very, very futuristic, like he was doing stuff in the 80s that no one else was doing, which is probably where, you know, Dre and world-class wrecking crew Got some of their stuff from. Would you say that he's along that same line where he's, I guess, an, an alternative type of uh, hip hop artist?
0: I would say alternative. Yeah, and the and the term I was trying to find earlier was electro. So that the sound yeah mm. was electro. So yeah, he's definitely like a a modern electro artist. I would say Egyptian Lover is probably his biggest influence when it comes to his flow. Egypt, so he does have more. Of, yeah, exactly. So he has more of that type of lineage, but mm. you still hear that modern kind of LA rap style to it. So. I think it is. He's a type of artist that I don't. I can't say he's gonna be anywhere near as big as, of course, a Drake Kendrick, but he doesn't have to be. I think when he finds his lane, and yeah, he's found his lane. I think when other people find that lane and, and realize that it's what he has to offer, it, he'll be big with it. And I'll even say he'll probably be the type of artist that has more success outside of, of the black the black community. He might end up having the Mexican and the white and Asian crowds giving them more love than the black, the black folks. And that's how a lot of artists do thrive. So there's nothing wrong with it. But also, I think he'll get more love from black folks in the Midwest than in the West Coast. Hmm. I think so. Because of,
1: because of his sound. It's, it's a unique sound that not many people have that lane right now. So if he, if he stays yeah. true to that, then he can own that.
0: Exactly. Exactly. That's the way I see it happening. Yeah. So for everybody out there listening, definitely check out Both of those artists, Omar, Apollo, and Channel Tress. That's about all we have for this episode. So, um, EB, let everybody know where they can find you at online.
1: Yeah, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EB4Prez. That's EB, the number four, and then Prez is P-R-E-Z as in zebra. Uh,
0: You can go ahead and find me at DJRTISTIC. That's on Twitter and Instagram. Also, my website is DJR-TISTIC. And um, also on Twitch. I'm streaming on Twitch Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. Find me on Twitch at RTISTIC310. So once again, I want to thank you all for listening to Behind the Wheels. Join us again in about two weeks. And please go ahead and rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Yes, sir. And we out. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Muntz and the lady Yahuma Sek edited by Melissa D. Mutz, and the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.
2: We can keep it going. Do you guys need okay. any a break or water or anything?
0: Uh, just got to wipe the champagne off my face from, you know, champagne. <laughs> oh,
1: man. Wow. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Woo, all yep. right. Uh, roll yep. the tapes.
0: Yep. So, all right. Wow. All right. It's out of my eyes now. I can see. I can read the uh, the notes. So, all right. Let's get back to it.